Well, we had a nice Guru Purnim hmm? festival and discussion for Sanatana Goswami's disappearance. It was nice, wasn't it? So, let's see, you guys shaved up for the occasion, huh? He was called Munda Baba, Shaved Baba. He said when he passed from the world that everybody in Vrindavan, the whole Braj Mandal, shaved their heads. So, an identification with him. So, just some idea of what he meant to the people and, of course, to our Sampradaya. But we discussed it. Hopefully all those of you who weren't here can catch up with it and hear the talk. But let's open the floor for any questions this evening. Question, yes. How is it that Achintya Veda Veda Tattva necessitates Leela? How is it that Achintya Veda Veda Tattva necessitates Leela? I've said that many times. So, your question. What I mean by that is Achintya Veda Veda, of course, is the metaphysical... It's a term for describing the metaphysical worldview of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Goswamis. So it's a form of Vedanta. Um, I have coined a phrase to give it a modern English translation. How does that go? Transrational, non-dualistic, non-dualism. Transrational, dualistic, non-dualism. It's a form of non-dualism as described in the Bhagavatam, Advaigyan Tattva, the term is used. Vedantita Tattva Vidas Tattvam Yad Gyanam Advayam Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavaniti Shabdite. It's a very uh, important verse of the Bhagavatam. It comes in the second chapter, maybe about the 11th verse. As I've said before, uh, Jiva Goswami built his whole uh, Paramatma and, uh, and uh, Bhagavat Sandarbha around explaining this verse, um, which says, Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavan, Iti Shabdite. So, Bhagavan, it means that absolute truth is, learned people say, non dual consciousness, Advaigyan Tattva, known variously as Brahman, Paramatman, Bhagavan. The normal, kind of normal, I guess I shouldn't say normal, but the understanding of the verse prior to the uh, Goswamis commenting on, explaining the Bhagavatam, would be that the absolute truth is non-dual consciousness. It's known by different names. You call it Brahman, you call it Paramatma, you call it Bhagavan. Next verse. So, uh, the the difference in the Goswami's understanding of the verse is that Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan actually speak about different faces of the absolute truth, of that non-dual consciousness who shows himself in different ways relative to different approaches. It's a very uh, uh, insightful um, understanding of the verse because when you look and you see the distinction between the paths of, of, of jnana, yoga, mystic yoga, stanga yoga, and bhakti, which are the, really the three paths of Transcendental paths, you could say Nishkam Karma Yoga, Nishkam Karma Yoga leads to Jnana or it leads to Bhakti, depending upon how it's performed. Hmm? Um, not that it 
begets bhakti, but it it can include bhakti in such a way that one will come to bhakti more readily. Um, so at any rate, yoga, or gyan, yoga, and bhakti. And if you study these paths, they're quite distinct, despite the fact that there are many things that each of them have in common. They're quite distinct in whether the angas, the limbs of the body of each of those paths, they're very different. Hmm? Um, and the mentality that the, uh, is uh, cultivated, and so forth, uh, very, very different. And so, arguably, the goal would be different. But then again, the goal has to be one because they have many things in common. Hmm? Except, uh, well, there's many overlapping, many things we have in common. Hmm? Consciousness is, is the real world. The subjective world is the real world. Material world is either here today, gone tomorrow, or it's not here at all, according to Shankar, in, in his, his position, and so forth. So because of the things in common, it's thought that the goal will become, but that neglects the differences in the path, hmm? which make for also differences, which makes then for a nuanced, the possibility of nuanced experience in transcendence. So this is just one example of that, uh, an overarching and broad example. It could be experienced as Brahman, as Paramatma, or as Bhagwan. Many other nuances. As Brahma, as Bhagwan in Aishwarya, as Bhagwan in Madhurya, as Bhagwan in within Madhurya, in Sakya Vatsalya, different types of Sakya, and so on and so forth. So, as I say, this is a broad, general way of speaking about the fact that the there. Uh, there's possibility of, uh, of different experiences. All, here's the common ground again, within transcendence. All bringing an end to birth and death and the illusory um, uh, experience of material existence. <clears throat> so, as I say, while many just blur them as being, in terms of their commonality, and determine they all have the same goal, different paths, all roads lead to Rome, although that's probably not true. We could ask Shamsundra about that, but I imagine many of them don't. And um, um, all roads may lead to the mountain, but they don't all go to the top or something like that, where they they go to different places on the mountain, let's put it like that. So... Whether one's the top or not, well, you can determine that for yourself. We can make an argument for bhakti um, in that regard, but and we have the, have some logic and support for it. But if you want another path? We don't. We're not going to argue with you. Um, so that, it's a beautiful idea hmm? that that the, the absolute is one, non-dual, but still nuanced. It's a non. It's one. It, 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 what it means, what we mean by that, is that, is that everything is Krishna. Like I said the other day, Krishna didn't make anything. Krishna just is. God is, and that includes his different shaktis, and it's all part of him. Hmm? All the aspects of himself. The potent has potency. Hmm? So what he's like hmm, is not so much what he makes, but what he makes of what he is. Hmm? how he interrelates with his different shaktis, and so forth. Hmm? And so we accept what is, and then we, we praise and glorify him for 
the way he interacts with, which we find very charming, beautiful, just, merciful at the same time, in relation to the world, re- reciprocating with, with transcendentalists as they approach him, awarding them Brahma Sayuja, if they should so desire, yoga, samadhi, shantaras, the beatific vision of a Paramatma, or vilas in uh, uh, lila in, in Vaikuntha, or in um, in sweetness in Aishvarya or in, in, in Madhurya. Hmm? Uh, so he's charming. Hmm? And um, he's one. And from another, just to go on for that a little bit, we can say, well, God's not to blame for the problems in the world because there's only God. So he's going to blame himself. So from the, from the, from the, from the, the, the non-different perspective, Abed, there's no one to blame. Hmm. Blame requires two. Hmm. Someone has to blame the other. From the from the abed, non-different standpoint, there's only God. Hmm. So our insistence on blaming Him is kind of like sheds light on the, on the illusion that we're in. Hmm. Well, I've said before we're something like living in God's dream, kind of makes you a little more provisional than you, than you think, perhaps, you, of yourself. Hmm? Not that we can be extinguished. We could, I suppose. God could do anything. But actually, Bhaktivinoda maybe said that somewhere. But <laughs> but uh, it's a better way to look at it, I think, is whatever exists will always exist. Whatever doesn't exist will never exist. So, as I sometimes say, we need to get used to one another because nobody's going anywhere. But... Um, but from the from the Abed perspective, there's no one to blame. Hmm? This is going just back to a, the argument of theodicy and whether God is to blame for the suffering, the pain in the world, and so forth. Is it God's doing what He does, and so who's to blame? From the from the Bade perspective, from the different perspective, well, then it's our fault because we have some will and we we act in ways that we do. Hmm? And as I said before, the force of karma and the force of bhakti are the two forces in the world. Hmm? Either you're under the influence of bhakti or you're under the influence of some mixed form of, of bhakti, jnana mishra bhakti, karma mishra bhakti, jnana mishra bhakti, yoga mishra bhakti, or shuddha bhakti. Hmm? And so, we are tatasta, so we are, we are, we are influenceable, we are impressionable <laughs> by nature. So, the impressions that, that we um, acquire and that we foster determine our standing, our position. Mm-hmm. And we cannot be, our position, our reality cannot be determined independent of impressions or environment. That's the, that's the meaning of tatasta. Mm-hmm. So, I've explained this before in many ways, but... Um, um, Achintya, Beda, Beda, Tattva. Hmm. So, uh, transrational, dualistic, non-dualism. It's a form of non-dualism. Hmm. And when you say non-dualism, dualism, there are many meanings to these things. Hmm. Hmm. So, uh, for us, I've explained now the overarching meaning. Reality is non-dual consciousness. And means there's only Krishna. Krishna 
includes his shaktis, potent has potencies. So they're not, in that sense, they're not separate from him. They're not independent from him. They're not a separate existence. Very technical terms for determining non-dualism are swagatabed. Um, what are those other two? Sajatiyabed and Swajatiyabed and Bijatiyabed. Swagatabed, Bijatiyabed, Swajatiyabed. So, if a thing is, this is a technical term from Vedanta, if a thing has Swagatabed, no internal difference, then it's non dual. As long as it also doesn't have difference from other things. What is it, Swajatiyabed? Like itself. Hmm? Like two pots, two clay pots. Hmm? They're both clay pots, something like that. Hmm? If the clay pots, a clay pot and a glass pot, hmm? well, that's Vijatiyabed. No difference between things that are different from it. I guess it's hard to understand that one. <laughs> so again, Krishna has no internal difference. Hmm? And his avatars hmm, are non-different from him. Hmm? So that's svajatiyabed. Hmm? And then his shaktis, like, like the jiva, for example, the maya shakti, which are different from him, hmm? there's no, in one sense, there's no vijatiyabed. Hmm? They are actually, from the broader pers- picture, they have a oneness with him. They have no separate existence from him, those shaktis. Hmm? We can look at them from a certain lens and they'll be a different perspective, angle, but ultimately they're not, a, they're not an independent existence. So there's no point being, there's no svagatabed, Krishna is his head and his feet and his... Uh, what does that Brahma Samhita say? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. What is that verse? I used to know the whole thing. I can't remember one, one verse now. So anyway, Krishna's parts are interchangeable, so to speak. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, he can see, he can, he can, Impregnate with his eyes, saikshita, he looked, he saw, which normally you would do with another organ, as we were working with Sevji this morning. <laughs> uh, just looking at praying was not enough. To, but Krishna can look and make her pregnant, for example. So there's no swagatabed, there's no different incarnations which look like separate from him. One has four arms and has two arms. Hmm? They're, they're, both, they're Vishnu Tattva, and there's no, no, from the point of view of Tattva, there's no difference. They're both God. Hmm? Hmm. Um, then the Jiva Tattva, Vibhinamsa. There's Swamsa and Vibhinamsa. So the Vibhinamsa is categorically different. Vishnu Tattva is not categorically different, so there's no, and there's no difference between Vishnu Tattva, any of the forms, and Krishna, that they're all God, so there's no Swajati Abed. There's no difference between things sim- of similar. Nature, hmm? Vishnu Tattva. 
the Jiva Tattva is, is categorically different. It's Vibhinamsha. It's of a different category. Hmm? It's not Vishnu Tattva. So that would be Vijati Abed. But there's no difference between the Jiva Tattva and Vishnu because it's one of the Shaktis. So, so anyway, Krishna, reality, is non-dual. But our idea of non-dual, you see, it's not boring <laughs> like uh, like that of Advaita Vedanta. It's simplistic. Hmm? I was uh, marveling at how um, there was a fellow, some of you know him, who was um, professor and he was involved. And he still, I think, feels himself to be involved here, but he got more involved now in in ex- examining Advaita and and uh, Zen and so forth, and he's writing some blogs and and uh, it's um, he, he writes in a in a you know he's a good good writer and so forth in a rational way and so forth. and then his arguments I think are very very that he makes in a recent blog are are problematic in many many ways but nonetheless he can sound like and I guess he is. Uh, has become very quickly an authority in the field hmm, of what I would call pseudo non-dualism, where Buddhism and Advaita are, are merged. Hmm. Even though, in many respects, they're very different. Buddhism says there's only matter, hmm, which, which includes mind, that materialists wouldn't include, and therefore dismiss Buddhism. But the Buddhists can... Um, look at it like a subtle form of matter as coming out of the Upanishads as their teaching does. And that there's no there's no permanent ontological reality called consciousness, which would be a dual, a separate thing from matter. Hmm? Advaita Vedanta says there's no matter. Hmm? Just the opposite. There's only consciousness, pure idealism. There's only consciousness, and there's no individual consciousness. There's one pulsating consciousness. Hmm? So they're, in one sense, they're saying opposite thing. One saying there's only matter, hmm? the other saying there's only consciousness. So anyway, there's this, it's pretty common in, in pseudo-monism hmm? of a, of a, of a quote-unquote spiritual type, as opposed to materialistic monism. To merge these two, well, not many other problems I saw with the article, but at any rate, I was marveling at how at how easy it is to become an authority in such a field. But to, to write a blog on Gaudiya Vaishnavism, hmm, and and know what you're talking about and say it thoughtfully and uh, not so easy. We didn't see any of those from him. <laughs> That's much much more complex of um, really. Um, um, form, if you will, of non-dualism. Hmm? Now, I said there were many meanings to non-dualism, and so we, with that, for ourselves, this is one overarching meaning that I'm explaining. We also use the term non-dual when we refer to the dualities that arise from sense perception, the goods, the bads, the happies, the sads, happy, sad, good, bad, hmm? black, white. These are dualities that exist only in the mind and only through sense perception. Hmm? Um, so some people seem to take that as the sum and substance of what uh, non-duality means. Um, it's an aspect 
the way, another way in which we use the term, but but the Bhagavat, in speaking about the nature of reality, uses it in the in the way I was speaking of uh, earlier. So it's a form of non-dualism. Therefore, again, my term transrational dualistic non-dualism, because there's a dualism, if you will, within the non-dualism. Hmm? Hmm. Um, once, there's a famous Advaitin saying, it comes from the Upanishads, Brahma, um, Sarvam idam kalo Brahma. Everything is Brahman. Shiramarsh once made a nice rendering, it. everything is Brahman. There are many things, and they're all Brahman. <laughs> so even the material world is Brahman, even the Jiva Shakti is Brahman, because they're all the potencies, the Shaktis of Brahman. So we, this is the Vaishnav perspective on it. <laughs> I liked that very much. So uh, it doesn't do away with all things, and they're just one pulsating reality that really... And a lot of these things will sound good from a certain point of view, and then people will buy into them because on a certain level they sound good, but then if you play it out, there are a lot of problems. And there will be for any philosophy, for some people, the problems with Advaita Vedanta, for example, is, desc- is describing if there's only one, what is Maya? What is the world? There is no world. There is no world, but there is a world. But So it, you know, it's a superposition upon Brahman, and that's a very complex argument that just is really the weakest part of the whole argument. For Buddhism, at least from my perspective, the weakest part is, you know, who's the Buddha? Hmm? <laughs> who, who got reincarnated? Who got enlightened? Who's in Nirvana? There's nobody there. Um, it's like an empty, empty, empty room. It's a space. It's a space, I guess. What did I say in Rasa? I had a way of talking about it. That's in my book. It's a space. Hmm. Shankar says, no, it's, it's a space with... But nobody's there. Nobody's there. Nobody's there. No, it, it, uh, no it, it's a space, but, but nobody's there. <laughs> Something like that. Hmm. And then Vaishnavism says, oh, it's a space, and, and turns the lights on, and there's somebody there, too. Hmm. Something like that. So, at any rate, um, um, the the doctrine of the Gaudiya Vaishnavism has a dualism inside the non-dualism. So everything is Brahman, and so there are there's nuance, there are different expressions, and the, the Brahman, the Paramatma, the Bhagavan. These are different expressions, and they very much. When you hear about it, it makes so much sense. It seems, well, it's just very practical. And the Goswamis, you have to see it, think they understood this. They brought this out. And it's very revolutionary. They would just think, oh, this is another name, Brahman, Paramatma, Bhagavan, Ramanuja will say the same thing. They're just different names for the same thing. But Goswamis say, no, these are actually different faces of the Absolute that pertain to, answer to, respond to distinct paths. Look at the path. It's distinct. Look at this one. Look at this one. This is their insight. You hear it, of course makes common sense, perfect sense, but nobody commented on that verse like that. So you can see from that, Brahmiti, Paramatmiti, Bhagavaniti, Sabdite. He writes two Sandarbhas, the Bhagavat Sandarbha and the Paramatma Sandarbha. 
Hmm? Talking about Brahman, excuse me, talking about Bhagwan and Paramatma. Then you ask, why isn't there a, a Brahman Sampradaya? Or, excuse me, uh, Sandarbha. You've got the Bhagwat Sandarbha, which speaks about Bhagwan. Hmm? You've got the Paramatma Sandarbha, speaks about Paramatma. Why, about, why not about the Brahman Sandarbha? Well, there's nothing to say about him. <laughs> and that's the teaching. <laughs> Even our teaching. What can be said about Brahman? It's Nirisesh. He says a few things at the beginning of the Bhagavad Sandarbha, I believe. More or less, he says, it's not what Shankar thinks it is. Basically, that's what he says. There's no merging in an absolute sense of the jiva with Brahman. Jiva is always the jiva. There is a merging, we call it saruja, but the jiva still remains an individual. And he could come out and go up, not down, but could come out and go up, as we were discussing the other day. By the grace of Bhagavan, he could get a form hmm, and engage in worship hmm, by Kunta Bhakti. Hmm. And the form will be corresponding as as Vishwanachakuritakur comments in the Bhagavatam to the rasa of the bhakta, who somehow he associates with, gives the blessing, or Bhagavan could give, I suppose, himself. But it's, uh, again, muktanam avisadhanam. This is how it's, that verse is commented on from sixth canto of Bhagavatam. Amongst muktas, muktanam avisadhanam narayana parayana. Very one might be might become a Narayana Parayana. It's a devotee of Narayana. It's possible. Hmm. The point of that only is that the jiva does not merge with Brahman. Hmm. The jiva is real. It's a real individual. Its individuality is not an illusory perception, hmm. which is what the Advaitins preach. They teach that, to use an example, if you have a clay pot and you put air, and there's air inside of it, then you break the clay pot. The air that was inside the pot doesn't remain the air inside the pot. It's just the air. The only thing that's separating it is the clay pot. So the only thing that's separating us is the illusion of the body. We're actually Brahman. How we got illusioned, again, that's a problem <laughs> for them to explain. It's, it's harder than falling from Vaikuntha. Uh, so, <laughs> so, this is the point of that idea, really. It's a very kind of a hypothetical. The point is, is that, that, that someone merged in Brahman can, could attain um, by, by the grace of Bhagavan, Narayan Seva, Vila Seva, Narayan. It's a more of a hypothetical. The point is being made, and this is the emphasis of Sanatana Prabhu in, in his Red um, Bhagavatamrita, that the jiva never merges with Brahman. And this is the point of Shijiba in, in Bhagavad Sundarva. It's not like Shankar says. Hmm? So, but there, is a, there is Brahman. There's not much you can say about it. There's much we could say about Paramatma and much more that we could say about Bhagavan and much more that we could say about Krishna. Therefore, even though there is a Bhagavad Sundarva speaking about Bhagavan, there's also a Krishna Sundarva. Hmm? One Sundarva just about Krishna. All other manifestations of the Bhagavan are explained in 
more or less in the Bhagavad Sandarbha. Some mention the Krishna Sandarbha in, in the course of leading up to Krishna's two Bhagavan Svayam, this explanation of Bhagavatam, which goes through different amatars and so forth. So, <clears throat> variegated nature of the non-dual reality. Hmm? So there's a there's a dualism. Hmm? There's difference, hmm? and it's interpenetrating to have a difference. And they're simultaneous; they interpenetrate one another. Um, another way of speaking about it, he's imminent and transcendent at the same time. He's in the world, in every atom, and completely aloof from it at the same time, as he says in the Gita. Matstani, Ninth chapter, he explains the Chintubeda Veda. Everything is in me, but I'm not in everything. Sina, Yoga Maishwam, see my the power of my yoga, my my chinti shakti. Hmm. Um, so, this is the chinti beda beda. Hmm. The chinti means not that we can't talk about it. Sometimes they always say, "What's oh, a chinti?" Stop the argument. Could be this. Could be that. No, no, it's not that. We can speak about it. We can explain it. We can give analogies and so forth. But how it works—that's inconceivable. Hmm. How, how it, ha- it happens by the inconceivable power of Bhagavan. The inconceivable power of Bhagavan can reconcile contradictory notions. But it's a contradictory notion that something could be one and different at the same time. could be singular and plural. It's a, we can talk about it so we can get some idea of, yeah, I could think about it like that, but how it all happens is the idea. This is by Bhagavan's power, hmm. his inconceivable shakti, he's holding the whole thing together. So it's a Shakti doctrine. Hmm? The word chintya is very important in the uh, in the uh, in the term hmm? transrational. It means it's beyond reason, but it doesn't entirely do justice. Achintya, God is inconceivable Shakti. Hmm? So again, it's a Shakti doctrine. We're interested in the Shakti of Bhagavan, of the Shakti Man, more than the Shakti Man. Someone was writing on the Facebook thing about Guru, and um, it's some verse, obscure verse from a, from somewhere about honoring the Guru, even if the Guru is not correct or something like that. And, and it's not a verse that the Goswamis have highlighted, and they've spoken of how to deal with that situation differently than this verse did. So someone was asking about it, and someone made a comment that, that really the Guru is just. Um, that which connects you to the powerhouse. Once you're connected to the powerhouse, you know, he's done. Hmm? And uh, so, you know, the implication is what does it matter if it's what happens after that? You're connected to the powerhouse, and, and there you go. You're the you're, you're Shakti. You need to be connected to the Shakti Man. And the guy does the thing, and then after that, you know, just get Siksha. That's a Siksha Guru Parampara anyway. And so, one of these ways of minimizing the Diksha Guru. Hmm? You know, and then you just get the sambandha gyan. Of course, he doesn't realize that diksha is is, is under the category of sambandha gyan. <laughs> That's where where it falls. It's the giving of sambandha gyan in, in the seed form, the form of the mantra. And siksha cultivates that. Diksha is the seed, and siksha is the watering. Which is more important? You got it. <laughs> That's right. So. Um, and of course, beyond that, hmm, what 
point I was making relative to our discussion about it's a Shakti doctrine, that we're not really interested in the powerhouse. We're interested in the power. Our goal is not Krishna. Our goal is love of Krishna. Yes, the Guru gives us Krishna, but the mystery is how he gives us Krishna. If we don't understand Guru Tattva properly, then we'll miss this point. The Guru gives us Krishna. And, the, and, and, and Krishna is found in love of Krishna. And the Guru embodies love of Krishna. Therefore, the general course in Gaudiya Vaishnavism is Guru Jati Abhav. The same bhav of the Guru, the disciple will follow. That means the Guru embodies a bhava, and although he's sakshadhuri, he's also kintu pravoya priyavatas, dear to Krishna. How he is dear to Krishna, this is this is then the, the, a form of love of God, and that's our goal: love of God, to be love. Thich Nhat Hanh had a book called be, be, "Being Peace." I thought we should write one: "Being Love." <laughs> that's our ideal. Hmm. That's being more than Krishna, in a sense, because that has the power to, to conquer Krishna. So I, I made a couple of comments there to try to, like, this guru is important here. It's not just somebody that, okay, let me introduce you over here to the, plug you into the powerhouse and have a nice day. Anybody else need a plug in? <laughs> uh, something like that. So the idea was that he was disposable, or if he disposed of himself, <laughs> Um, an unfortunate circumstance, it wasn't really a big deal. So I begged to differ on the point. So kind of a Shakti uh, doctrine, if you will. This is the overarching influence. It holds the whole, everything clings on it. This is kind of a statement from the Upanishads that the whole of Gaudiya Vaishnavism hangs on. God has shaktis. And then the, all the implications of that. Hmm? Knowing the shakti, knowing the energy of the energetic is, is to know the energy, really. The energetic, really. If you know someone's energy, what they do, and then you know about them hmm? comprehensively. So, anyway, this is important. Uh, all the words are important there. Achintya, beda, beda. Now, what does it mean when I say that uh, if you have a chinti beta beta, you have to have lila. Really what I'm doing is I'm contrasting a chinti beta beta with a dueta vedanta. Hmm? That's what I'm doing. Whether you could say that for vishishta dueta, dueta dueta, dueta or shuddha dueta, four other forms of Vaishnavism, you might have to look at it. Hmm? Um, um, whether I would make the same statement with the same conviction. But my point in making that statement is that is that we there's there was a caution on Prabhupada's part. He cautioned us not to um, uh, look at the Leelas of Krishna in a in a symbolic or a metaphorical way. His concern in that regard was that by doing that there's a chance that Krishna will disappear. If Krishna just becomes a metaphor, hmm? because after all, this is how the Advaitins think of it. Hmm? Well, these are how the pseudo-Advaitins think of it. 
than the actual Advaitins. From the, from the, and, 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 and these people should be given some credit. Hmm? I mean, the Patanjali's of yoga, the Shankars of Advaita. Hmm? It's very presumptuous of us, on our part, in modern society, to take some of the liberties that we see taken by what I would call pseudo-Advaitins of today, or pseudo-Buddhists. You take, for example, the Dharma bums, you know, of the 60s, the late 50s and early 60s, I think we mentioned them the other day, you know, who got involved in Buddhism, thought about it, and never changed. <laughs> and became the icons of Buddhism. They were Dharma bums. Hmm? Were they Dharmic? No. <laughs> they thought about the Dharma, they reasoned about it, they smoked over it, drank tea over it, you know, and uh, they wanted to popularize it. Allen Ginsberg in the group considered Prabhupada very conservative when he met him. And Prabhupada was very upset when he heard that. Hmm? Conservative? He felt it was an insult to be called a conservative. From his point of view, he was very liberal and open-minded person, coming and giving Chaitanya Bhakti everywhere, you know. Even in India, the ways in which he gave it in America and worked with the situation and so forth would be thought to be a form of flaming liberalism. Hmm? All things considered, so he considered himself very liberal and appropriately so, hmm? given, uh, given, given all things considered. Now, we look today what is liberalism, and it's very different from, from liberalism of the 60s. It's extremely different. I've given the example before when I was at the Democrat, famous National Democratic demonstration where the term pigs came out because the police put on these gas masks and gassed us and they looked like pigs. So, um, that kind of thing. During, the, during that, there was a political party called the Yuppies. I've probably told you this before. And the people that were in the party, forming the party, that one of them was a woman, and she, she didn't go to the Democratic National Convention because it was, it was this obscure meeting, I think, in Florida about women's liberation that the rest of the guys in the political party just thought was, you know, ridiculous. Spend your time over there. Hmm. In other words, sexism hadn't really, you know, shown its... had its day. Hmm? I mean, it was having its day still. <laughs> it, 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 so, liberalism of different times, conservative of different times, very different sort of look now from our liberal perspective in modern society at Prabhupada's liberalism, he will look conservative. But in his own time, he was conservative. But not conservative, not liberal enough for Allen Ginsberg, but the, but the liberalism of Allen Ginsberg, by which he wanted to popularize the chanting of Hare Krishna when he met Prabhupada. Hmm? Uh, Prabhupada was not... Um, interested in. Um, at that time he replied, we're more interested in, in classes, in the class, than the mass. So he saw that the, 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 the general public who he was getting the ear of, they were involved in intoxication and um, um, free sex and, and so on and so forth. And um, he felt that these things were not conducive to yogic, sattvic life. And he was right about it. Hmm? And so he wasn't ready just to get people to chant and, and, and not mention hmm, that uh, this that there's a lifestyle that accompanies it. Hmm? 
as in the Gita, Krishna says when he begins to speak about yoga, says when he speak, which is I mean about about excuse me in the sixth chapter about meditation, which is about sitting. He first begins to speak about walking. Hmm? He who lights no fire, hmm? um, performs no sacrifice. You know he's a he's a meditator in name only, sannyasi in name only. So this correspondence between how you act and how that will weigh in on how you sit and so forth. It's, just, it's a lifestyle, in other words. Spiritual life is a lifestyle. Hmm. And so Prabhupada was not uh, for that. And the Dharma bums, I mean, they were interesting people and they had, they, they were um, intellectually stimulating in, in some ways and so forth. But they, you know, they, and they were proclaimed saints, some of them by, by some of them. Hmm. Um, but you know, and, and they were, but they they didn't, they never came to what Eastern spirituality speaks about in terms of the the reals, the voices, the Shankars, the, the Buddha himself. I mean, the Buddha makes it real simple. Hmm? Really, desire is the problem, which means okay, well, that's hard now. What to do? So you want to simplify it. You can talk about it in different ways and make it simple and go round and round and round. Hmm? But his teaching was pretty simple. World's about suffering. Cause of the suffering is desire. Hmm? What is it? Hmm. There's a path. There's a path. What? It consists of eight noble truths. There was a path. There was actually a path he gave, eight noble truths. A certain lifestyle, how you would conduct yourself. Hmm? in such a way that you could become free from desire, basically. Uh, in the Patanjali of Yoga Sutras and so forth, I mean, if you look at these people, these three, for example, in the Buddhism, the Buddha, the Gautam, uh, the uh, Siddhartha, the, uh, the Shankar, big luminary in Advaita, and Patanjali in Yoga. I mean, their books, they had, they had success. That's why I wrote an article some time back. Is there a secular meditation? People say there is. I understand that. They reason about it. But when we see the first secular mystic that has the same qualities as a Shankar or a Patanjali or a Rumi, or, you know, we'll give it a little more credence. Hmm? When they can do, when they exhibit those types of qualities, and given those particular disciplines, if you want to be an Advaitin or a non-dualist, and then you got to be able to sit alone, be a yogi, be in a cave, and. So, Let's see it. Hmm. So these people are, deserve their day, and their day is long. Hmm. And I, so it's rather presumptuous, in many respects, on our part to to nuance them in ways that they become marginalized considerably. Let's take, for example, this is how I got into this particular point, Krishna Leela. Hmm. So they will say, no, it's just a metaphor, it's a story. Shankar didn't look at it like that. Hmm. Shankar looked at Krishna Leela as the most profound manifestation of what he called Saguna Brahman. Hmm? That really there is a Krishna. Hmm? Hmm? And that Krishna can be experienced, the Leela can be fully experienced. His idea was that, it, that it's a Jivan Mukta, hmm? and it's a, one who's liberated in this body while the Prabhda karma is still playing itself out. One can meditate on the Leelas of Krishna, experiencing them within relishing them. He expressed relish for those leelas, for retiring on the banks of the Jamuna and remembering Krishna Leela. 
If you read Madhusudan Saraswati's commentary on the Gita, for example, the praise he offers Krishna, he's a mayavadi. He's praising the sag, what they could term the saguna manifestation of Brahman. Brahman taking a shape for a temporary time, doing in the, in the most complete way in in the form of Krishna, charming the world, charming the advaitins, and and making the pursuit of moksha easy. That's their perspective. So to, to, to just say, well, it's just a metaphor, so you know, we can take it or leave it, or is, 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 okay, you can take that liberty if you like, but again, where are the Shankars? Hmm? Um, and that's just one, 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 one example. I mean, the liberties they take, the liberties that the Dharma bums took with Buddhism is in many respects what made, has helped to make Buddhism as popular as it is. Hmm? But then, as popular as it is, um, it's not—it's still not making many Buddhists. <laughs> I mean, there is a goal to that. Hmm? Yeah, I don't think you have some serious people involved in Buddhism who join monasteries, and or maybe who live in their homes and really serious have, have a serious, serious practice, and, and that's good and all. But but you know, it's easy to water thing down. So at any rate, I got into this by saying that Prabhupada was um, quick to reply or to instruct us in a way not to look at the Leelas metaphorically, but as real. I've given an example before that he was asked once, what does it mean? What are the horses, the five horses on Krishna's chariot You know, mean? He said it means it, it requires five horses to, bring, to pull a chariot. <laughs> So what he was really saying there is that Krishna Leela is an ontological reality. It's not just a story made up um, to tell us that that you're Krishna, for example, you know, from a Dwayton point of view, something like that. And while that may seem in one sense as a to lack nuance, it's actually a very esoteric idea that Krishna... Leela is an ontological reality. Leela is, 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 is not only an ontological reality, but ultimate destination, that the love of God, which is what the Leela is, fueled by and about, personified love of God, is what we our goal, what to enter into. Hmm? It's the ideal. Hmm? So it's very kind of real. It's most real. Hmm? Um, so um, he made that argument or he made that emphasis without saying what I'm saying directly, but giving the replies like he did, it takes five horses to pull a chariot. He didn't want Krishna to disappear in a what it might appear as a more nuanced explanation. The chariot means the five senses, and the, or the, the, the horses mean the five senses, the chariot is the body. That's there also in the Upanishads. Hmm? And Prabhupada might have even cited it somewhere in his commentary. But... Um, that's not speaking about the chariot of Krishna necessarily on the body. It's just a general analogy. Prabhupada wanted to say Krishna's chariot is real, the horses are real, Krishna's real. Hmm? The subjective world is the real world, and, and such possibilities lie there for Lila. There's movement there and so forth. So, that said, answering your question, um, my point is that if 
you are grounded in a chinti beta beta, hmm? there has to be lila. Hmm? There has to be lila in comparison to dvaita vedanta, hmm? where there doesn't have to be a lila that's an ontological reality. There has to be a lila that that is a that is brahman appearing in sattva guna, and that means saguna with qualities. That's his idea, not transcendental qualities, but qualities form constitute a high refined sattva. And there's a focus point for you, and then when you're done with the focus point, you can enter into Brahman, this kind of idea. So, Saguna Nam, Saguna Rupa, Saguna Lila. Ours is a Nirguna Nam, Nirguna Lila. It means no material qualities, it is of a transcendental nature, and so forth. So, in Advaita Vedanta, there doesn't need to be a Lila. There can't be a Lila. Hmm? Because the ultimate reality, the Paramartic reality, is. Singular, nirishesh. Hmm? There's only awareness. That's all there is. Awareness. What more can you say? There's not much to be said. Hmm? So, by contrast, if the if the canvas you're working with is a chinti beta beta there has to be lila because that's what beta bed means beta bed bed means non-different hmm? or different hmm? different means lila different means variety hmm? a means non-different now when you decorate the non-different hmm, with difference hmm? when you decorate the unity with variety it doesn't compromise the unity hmm? That's very special. Hmm? That implies then movement. Hmm? In other words, the bade is non-difference. Hmm? So let's say Brahman is non-different. Okay? Excuse me, abed. Abed means non-different. So Brahman is abed, non-different. There's no differentiation there. No qualities, no form, no movement. Hmm? It's still. Now, if you say that actually the obeyed is also obeyed at the same time, then you're you're saying that that that, that Brahman ultimately is does have qualifying um, features hmm? and differentiation, and when there's differentiation, then there's movement. Hmm? You understand? Hmm? So, in, as long as if you if you have chintya obeyed obeyed. The bade, the difference, means lila. Hmm? That's what it means. Hmm? And the bade is sakiras, vatsaliras, madhuriras. Hmm? It's many things. Hmm? It's the different qualities of Krishna, the different forms of Krishna, hmm? the different realms and so forth for different lilas. But the bade in a word hmm, means Brahman is now moving. Hmm? That's Leela. So, when you're working with that kind of canvas, then, and you understand it well enough, then you can speak about Krishna Leela in some ways that are more nuanced and and speak of them symbolically and metaphorically. Hmm? Because what you're saying then is, oh, there's a philosophical truth being pointed out here. The Leela is playing like this, 
and there's a truth that we can draw from it. So it's a metaphor for this principle. Hmm? And we'll take that principle and incorporate it into our lives as sadhakas hmm? and improve our life. But in doing that, the lila didn't disappear. So there's a tattva hmm? to the lila. Hmm? That's kind of, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an ab. There's an abed to the lila. There's a philosophy that's one. Hmm? We can draw out the singular philosophy from the lila. Hmm? Hmm? But the lila is, is pluralistic, a different moving, so forth. So the lila doesn't go away. I could take that hmm? and I could say, so the point is being made here this, and, and but the lila doesn't disappear in the context of doing it. And when you enter the lila, you can forget the tattva. Hmm? But now you need to draw the tattva from the lila hmm? to incorporate it into your life, the tattva, so that you ground it in that, that you can then uh, draw, hmm, if you will, in time, which is, is the case in, in, in Bhava Bhakti, your own participation in the lila, lila seva. Um, so generally, we see it works like this. Hmm? Those who are tattvavits have some scope for we're getting Baba. Learn the tattva, hmm? and then you've got the canvas in place. There's a good, good scope for, the, for, for Baba coming. Could come otherwise, but I mean, this is the general course. So it's good for us to hear the Leela and hmm, not just think, well, oh, there's nice stories. Remember the different points and how many, how many this and how many that and what color here and, you know, and then repeat it. And once in, in Prabhupada's movement in Iskon, they had this thing called the. Um, I don't know what they call it, but it was, you know, these game shows? You know, these game shows, and you have to remember things and, and so forth, and you pick a you know, star or something, and then, and then they say, okay, we've got two questions for you, you know, and they answer the question. When they, they did a thing like this with the Krishna book. Hmm? I never got involved in it, but so the boy would read the Krishna book, and then they'd have a game, and they'd play, you know, who could remember what, and so forth, and you'd get stars, and so And the idea is we were remembering Krishna, and I guess, yeah, it's, you know, kind of. <laughs> but uh, uh, then you'll find uh, that the Leela is narrated by Jiva Goswami over here with different colors and different names and, 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 and some nuance. Then you, you, then you have to think, well, I guess it was in a different yuga or something like that. Or, or, or you just realize they're talking about the Leela, which is a real thing, the ultimate reality. They're talking about it in different ways in order to make different points to help us go there. And ultimately, they're trying to bring out the feeling of the bhava and convey it to us. Hmm? And what they're speaking about in terms of telling the story is only part of the story, with the rest of which is beyond speech. That's why I like to say the Leela is based on a true story hmm? and embellished by the storyteller at different times in different ways to emphasize different points. Hmm? And that embellishment and so forth, it doesn't do away with the Leela. It helps to bring to us that which we can take advantage of and ultimately, of course, acquaint us with the, with the basic storyline of the day in the life of Krishna or, or whatever, the, or the Bhagavatam, the Prakat Leela, the manifest Leela recorded in the Bhagavatam, to have some acquaintance with it. And, of course, it's charming, some liking for it, um, ultimately, and um, attraction and, and so forth. So... I make that point because sometimes I speak about the Leela in that way and I and I and and Prabhupada often didn't and a lot of times I speak to people who are used to hearing it 
the way Prabhupada spoke it, and they have sometimes a very literal take on it, that actually now, at this point in their progress, often or sometimes gets in the way hmm, of their making making progress. They make the leela out to be, unfortunately and unwittingly, less than what it is. They want to limit it now to a very literal um, um, uh, explanation so that if I say it slightly, well, it's not like being a Christian. It's like this over here, you know. Hmm? That's wrong. You know? It happens exactly like this. And so, But we see the Goswamis, how they wrote about um, Leela with some poetic license. It all ties together. They're, they're explaining the Babas and bringing it out. You could say they're experiencing it differently because however you want, they're experiencing it differently. Or they took some poetic... I mean, they were authors. They they had points to make and so forth. They created literature. Hmm. And um, and you can see... I mean, Gopal Champu, for example, is just the Krishna Sandarbha in poetry, basically. That's what it is. Hmm. And it's the retelling of the whole Bhagavatam, the whole Prakat Leela of Krishna. Hmm. Some chapters are excluded, which he thinks are not as important. And as, as other ones, basically telling. And there's nuance, different details. You can find that in other Goswami's books too. So, so um, I, I think that I found that speaking about it in that way is helpful for, helpful for the devotees. Hmm? To get away from a literal, probably put us in a very literal framework and for very good reason. Because what was out there was Dharma bums, ready to just interpret anything, you know, to make it work and make it popular. We're Americans and we do everything better. So let's take the Buddha's teaching and let's improve on this. Hmm? Improve on the Buddha's teaching. Let's make it contemporary. Let's get rid of some baggage here. So, you know, there's some place for that. But if you throw the proverbial, you know, Buddha out with the bathwater, you know, <laughs> then there's no enlightenment. So then you make up what is enlightenment. And some sorrows nirvana and it doesn't matter what you do and you just be there and you're okay. and um, Just be present. Hmm? It's it sounds interesting, but you know, just you know, you say it doesn't matter what you do; just be present in what you're doing, hmm? and know that 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 you are there witnessing. Of course, this is a mix of Advaita and Buddhism. I'm there. I'm I am, and I'm just doing this. But why are you doing this? You could just play your guitar. That could be your your, your practice, and just just be there, be present in it. But why would you be playing it in the first place? Because you're thinking, I like music. That's all coming from from a, a material ego, a sense of self. That's what it's coming out of. Hmm? You understand? Hmm? I think, for example, I'm a musician, so I'm going to play music. But you're not a musician. Hmm? Why are you doing it in the first place? If you really know or want to know that you just are, which would be a Dwaita perspective, come out of a Ramana Maharshi type perspective, it's was, it was just an example of maybe Atmaram. Hmm? Hmm? Not, not, not Brahmagyan, not Brahmananda. How did he live his life? What was he like? I mean, he wasn't playing the guitar, he wasn't doing anything, he was just sitting there you know, for the most part. So, And how did he get there? Hmm? He didn't do it by just doing ordinary things and just going on with his ordinary life and... and um, thinking he was just witnessing it. And anyway. So, 
That's my reasoning, anyway, why, why I've used that, um, um, made, made that point, that if you're grounded in a chintubeta beta, then you can, there's liberties with which you can speak about the lila, and the lila will not disappear. It has, it has to be an ontological reality. Hmm? Does that help? What else? Um, you were saying how people who reach Yerushish uh, Brahman, they don't actually attain Brahman, so what happens to them? Where do they go? No, those who attain Yerushish Brahma, they attain Yerushish Brahma. Hmm? But Shankar's teaching that the jiva does not exist, hmm? the jiva is Brahman, and when we dispel the illusion, then the jiva realizes it's Brahman. Hmm? That's not happening. The jiva is the jiva. Brahman is Brahman. There are similarities between the two. Hmm? But the jiva is Tattasta Shakti. Brahman is not Tattasta Shakti. Hmm? They're similar. They're both consciousness, to be put it simplistically. So the, the jiva can fully identify with Brahman. Hmm? And then it loses a sense and awareness of its individuality. Hmm? But that individuality, the Goswami's teaching is, still exists. So there is, an, there is Brahmagyan, Brahmananda, Sayujamukti, merging with Brahman by the grace of some bhakti, and the process of Gyan, the practice of, you, can, you can attain that. If you want that, you can attain that. Hmm? It's mentioned in the Gita, Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma, Nasochatena Kamchati, attaining Atma Ram, Hamasavesha Bhuteshu, Mad Bhaktim Labte Param. One gets Bhakti, hmm? then he can enter into Brahman. Hmm? This is the idea. So the entering and what that's about is different than the way Shankar talks about it. That's the point. That help? And in that situation, the problem we see with it is that there are, there are, there are features, qualities, characteristics of the, of the sarup of the jiva, the nature of the jiva, that don't have the opportunity to manifest in that situation. So, it's uh, not something we want. Yes? One point that I'm confused on is at the beginning of the class we were talking about how different paths or different desires will lead to a different feature of the Godhead. But if we're submitting that a chincha beta beta is an ontological reality, if the other paths aren't moving on the basis of that reality, it would seem that it would be impossible for them to make any movement. No. Okay. No, no. A chincha beta beta is a way of talking about the reality hmm? mm-hmm. that we feel is more complete. It's not that Vashishta Dvaita is a, is, a, is a totally wrong way of talking about the reality, or that Dvaita Dvaita is, or that um, Shuddha Dvaita, or Dvaita. These are the four other Vaishnava paths. There are different ways of speaking about the same reality that we feel are, are less complete. Dr. Kapoor, Adi Keshavadas, one of the disciples of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvitak, wrote a philosophical. Uh, actually a doctoral dissertation many, many years ago hmm, that was published. Published as a book called Sri Chaitanya, Religion and Philosophy, I think. Hmm. And there's a chapter in there on the 
different schools of Vedanta, Shankar, Nimbarka, um, Vishnu Swami, uh, Ramanuja, and um, Madhva, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, was the favorite chapter of the book for Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And the nice thing that he points out there is that each of these forms of Vedanta have a word, vishesh, of the... Um, um, what is the word of Ramana? Vishesh is the term of Madhva. What is the term of um, Ramanuja? It's inseparability. I forget the the, the Sanskrit. Uh, even Shankar has one, and all of them have a word in there that our word achintya. He argues better better addresses the reality. It's a better explanation of what they're trying to explain. Hmm? And so, it's not that these other Vaishnav Sampradayas are are wrong and they attain different destinations. Of course, our particular is going to afford us a certain attainment. I suppose you could look at it from a Chintibeda-beta perspective and attain by Kunta also. We, we do teach that. Hmm? But you can do Bhama Ramanujas too. Again, again, these are words, right? So they're ways of talking about it. It's the same reality. We just feel we describe it a little better, a little more accurately. Hmm. As far as the Advaita Vedanta, that's another thing. Hmm. We say, what you said, how do you get anywhere? We don't think that that's attainable. The ideal is not attainable. The the, the, the facts are wrong. Hmm. There is a jiva, there is a maya shakti, there is uh, a nirguna, lila, uh, qualities, lila's uh, forms, and so forth. All those things are denied in Shankara's uh, Advaita Vedanta. So we disagree with that entirely. Hmm. Now, we so that's mayavad. Hmm. That's a particular philosophy. Now there are other forms of of Advaita that precede him and that that come after him and so forth. That are, that's another that's perhaps another subject. But so does any, does anyone who follows Shankar's teaching and adds bhakti? Do they what do they attain? I, I suppose they could attain um, what is actually Brahma Sahaja, but then at the same time, Vishwana Chakravarti makes the comment that inherently in Mayavad philosophy is the very strong tendency for vilifying God from the Godi perspective, saying that God has no form. And those types of jnanis, he says there are four types of jnanis, two of which don't attain their destination because of their disregard for bhakti. Because of the disrespect for bhakti, you can't attain the goal. Two other kinds attain. One, who doesn't take that course and has regard for bhakti, and and fact and 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 bhakti sattviki bhakti is factored into his or her practice, which the ideal of which is brahma sayuja. So they attain it. Others attain a better situation because of desire. So there's also gyan. Gyan means knowledge. So there's a, a this is a gyan misra bhakti. Bhakti mixed with gyan. Hmm? 
they can attain various states of knowledge of of God, for example, up to Shantarasa. where there's no interest in the pastimes, there's no interest in, in just some interest in the form, hmm? the vision. That's way better than Sayuja. <laughs> Shantaras and Sayuja Mukti are totally different, but to each his own. So hmm? that, that means Madhbhaktim Labhate Param, Parabhakti. Hmm? Baladev takes that course in his commentary on that verse from Gita that I'm citing. 18th chapter, Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma. They attain Parabhakti. Gyan means also knowledge of Krishna, knowledge of God. Our teaching is Gyan Junya Bhakti, so there's absence of knowledge of God in the Brajalila. There is some, and sometimes the devotees do know that he's Krishna's God. The cowards, Mother gopis, they do know that he's God sometimes. In separation, that will come, and uh, times of duress, it may come also. But it never fact changes their bhava. It's just like another feature of their friend. It's cool. Our friend is God. That's cool. We don't have anything to worry about. Let's get back out there. Whatever demon comes, it doesn't matter. And just like a side something on the side, when it does surface, it never changes their bhava. Hmm. But anyway, it's an extreme where knowledge of the godhood, of the godhood is suppressed by love, overridden by love. Hmm. But the further you move outside of Vrindavan, the more the knowledge overrides bhakti. Hmm. Does that help? Yeah, what else? Another point that you were mentioning that was confused on was uh, you were saying that we can use the tapa to kind of like, draw the canvas by which we move on and leave but eventually, as you were saying, kind of gets suppressed. So I was wondering um, how that's the case because you've seen that you even said in, in some cases, in other cases, this is, I forget the exact language that you use, but bhakti is independent. So I'm wondering why this is helpful to know the tapa and how that can allow us entrance into people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, tattva in this case means samandagana, so it means knowledge about bhakti. Hmm? It includes knowledge of Krishna's form, knowledge of his pastimes, the nature of lila, and these kind of things. And so, if you know what you're doing, hmm, then your ability to practice is enhanced. So all that knowledge is there. It's it's part of bhakti. What I did say was it's possible. Well, without any tattva, you could become. So it's possible you could become a kripasiddha and. Krishna could bless you in some way, and, and but that's not the normal course. Hmm? And so, um, and an example of what I was talking about is that we draw the tattva. So let's say that what's the tattva with regard to the Brajalila? The tattva is Swakya. The Baba is Parakya. Hmm? What do I mean by that? The tattva is the gopis belong to Krishna and nobody else. Krishna's not running with somebody else's wife. Krishna is the husband of the gopis' husbands. Hmm? You follow? That's the sadha, that's the tattva, swakya. 
Hmm? Now the bhava is parakya. Hmm? So we we learn that if we don't learn the, the tattva, in this instance that I'm giving this example of swakya, then we might have a hard time understanding the bhava of it all. Hmm? And think, well, you're just talking about some guy, he's a you know, adulterous and calling him God and attributing other powers to him and stuff, but look at his moral life. And, and uh, <laughs> so uh, it's useful hmm, to sometimes speak from the point of view of Tapa, and you're, you're grounded in that, and then then having that in place, and Krishna says, Aham sarvasya prabhava mata sarvam Knowing me for who I am, people have the requisite uh, ability, power, enthusiasm to give their all in all. That I'm the center, everything's for me, you found it now, now you can give everything. Hmm? And as you give everything to him, hmm, the getting involves entering into, in, into, in, into bhava, attaining bhava. And then... Hmm, the gopis aren't thinking, well, Krishna, actually, it's really not a problem here, you know, actually, Radha, you belong to Krishna, you know, so it's, it's not a big deal. That's just like, they don't know the tattva. I mean, they just really don't know the tattva. Now, when they come to this world as the Goswamis, we see, well, they know quite a bit of tattva. They know it all. And here, then, they're using the tattva here to help us attain bhava. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's arguably you could just talk about bhava, and you could attract people, and they could just take it up and so forth. And, but in most cases, we find that people need some some tattva to get involved mm-hmm. and to help them along the way. And Bhaktivinoda made strong statements about because in his time, you could see people didn't have any tattva. Many people they were initiated, they were born in Vaishnava families, they didn't know what they were doing, and they weren't getting anywhere even though they were chanting. Hmm? And so, important to, to explain the tattva. What else? Is, is tattva also uh, relishable, for example? Like as in, as in yeah, and it depends upon the different types of devotees. Some devotees are more philosophical in their nature, and so they will relish it. The example I gave you the other day is Sanatana Goswami. Sanat Goswami, he was a philosopher. You don't find Jiva Goswami philosophizing, making arguments like Sanatan Prabhu is in, in, in Brihad Bhagavatamrita. He's not doing that. Hmm? The arguments Jiva Goswami is making in the Sandarbhas. He's the disciple of Rupa Goswami. Rupa Goswami writing Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Ujjwal Nilmani, he, he's, he's writing in a different way. They're not, I mean, it's some philosophy, it's Abhideya Tattva, but it's not. It's, it's, he's basically saying, and then there's this kind of love, and here's an example of it. And there's this nuanced love of, and then there's an example of it. In Ujjman he's teaching what bhakti is, what the path is, so a little philosophy in the beginning. Hmm? You know, in the, in the first four chapters of Bhakti Rasamrita, you'll find a little philosophy about the way, hmm? describing the path, what it is and what it isn't. Hmm? And then he goes on to describe the, the different aspects, the components of rasa. So you enter into the Next section, and there's 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 Krishna, the Ashraya Lambana, and he has qualities. These are his qualities, hmm? and so forth. Then you, you then the Vishaya Lambana, the devotee, and then all the different bhavas that make up rasa and how they combine different ways, and then, and then 
and so forth. And all that stuff is interesting and good and valuable, but some may not have a mind for it and may not be even required. But the first four chapters you need to get <laughs> you get, get get down pretty well. Hmm? What is bhava bhakti? What is sadhana bhakti? What is prema bhakti? What is bhakti? Those are the core issues. Uh, how each the chapters begin. What is bhakti? Anyabhilashita sunyam. What is sadhana bhakti? Hmm? What is his verse there? Bengali verse. Nichasita Krishna Prem Sadhikabanoya Shabanadi Sudachite Korayudoy. Nichasita is a Bhabasya, that's the Sanskrit one. Then you go to next chapter Bhava Bhakti. How does it begin? What is Bhava Bhakti? Give the definition. Bhava Bhakti. Sudhasatma Vishay Satma Prema Suryam Su Samyabhak. Next chapter, Prem Bhakti. Defines Prem Bhakti. Gives examples, so on and so forth. So these chapters are important. But 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 yes. Sanatana Prabhu had a very philosophical mind. Jiva Goswami, they like that. Tattva. Hmm? So some devotees will be like that. Some won't have that. Hmm? So there's a place for both, a place for relishing the tattva. Hmm? Well, what does it mean? Oh, it gets you to fall over too. The implications of it and speaking about it. So... All right, what's the time? 7.53. All right, we'll stop there. Sri Sri Govnatananda ki jai. Govnatananda ki jai. Govnatananda ki jai.